Well, uh, first of all, I don't know if you noticed, but uh, DJ had a shirt underneath his flannel, and I don't know if you could tell, but it was just a little picture of a lion, uh, because DJ's a giant Detroit Lions fan. So uh, if we want to, maybe after service, we can lay hands on him and pray for him today. Uh, I think we're all pulling for the Lions today, aren't we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go Lions. Uh, I don't know what that was. Somebody yelled something, but hey, hey whatever. Uh, but he, he's, he mentioned I was in Chicago. I was in Chicago. It was miserable in Chicago. Uh, it was freezing rain, dense fog. I didn't see the sun for five days. I've ne- never been so happy to be in Phoenix, Arizona than when I landed on Friday night. But, but that being said, uh, my time in Chicago was really good. I uh, go every year. There is a conference uh, called Midwinter that is a part of the denomination we're a part of. We're a part of the Evangelical Covenant Church, if you didn't know that. And um, there's about eight to 900 churches around the country that are part of that. And so this conference is for pastors and church leaders. Every year we come together, we spend some time together. It was an amazing time. But I wanted to share just a little bit about something I learned, because I think it's important for us to remember that we are a part of a larger family of God. And in fact, the, the student event that's going to be happening this summer is sponsored by, put on by our denomination. So hundreds of other churches with youth groups are going to be going to San Diego State University, Bowling Green University, and spending this time together. Incredible experience for our teenagers. But we're part of this larger family, not just the kingdom of God at large, but this other smaller family of God that sort of works together to do the work of God in their respective contexts. And I got to interact with pastors from all over the country, Alaska, Maine, you name it. I, you know, there's people from everywhere. But one of the things that was, was shown to us was a video about what is happening through the Covenant Church in the, the, the Dominican Republic of Congo. Now, we have a longstanding relationship with the country of Congo. In fact, we have been, as a church, we've partnered. Some of you sponsor kids from the country of Congo um, because we've done some stuff with that. We're going to be doing some more of that in the coming fall, in the fall. But here's what I want you to know. There are more covenant churches in the, Dem- the, the, um, the Dem- Democratic Republic of Congo than there are in the United States. And more than 2 million people attend those churches. So while we stand here and we say, man, God is at work right here at 32nd Street and Thunderbird, I do not want us to ever forget that God is not just at work at this corner in Phoenix. He is at work in mighty ways in places none of us have ever visited or could imagine in our minds. And so I just, man, I was just so inspired by that when I think of God's work in the world um, in people that we would never know and languages that we could never speak. And uh, so that just be an encouragement to you that we get to be part of a larger family that is working together to see God's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Isn't that exciting? Yeah, very cool. Well, uh, as DJ mentioned, we are jumping right back into the book of Acts. We're going to be in Acts chapter 20 again today. And uh, there's a quote that was written by a gentleman named John Maxwell. John Maxwell is a leadership guru. Uh, he's a Christian man as well. He's written over 70 books on leadership. And one of the things that he says in, in his book, The 360-Degree Leader, is he says, everything rises and falls on leadership. Everything rises and falls on leadership. Now, that's a bold statement. It's pulled out of context. But the reality is, leadership really matters. Now, we're headed into a very interesting year. I don't know if you knew this. There's this election going to happen this year. 
And I don't want to get into all of that. But, but what we know, I think, as a country is that leadership really matters. It really matters. Worldwide, historically, nations rise and fall on the backs of good and bad leadership. There are two huge, well, actually, there's four huge books in the Old Testament that only talks about the rising and the falling of leadership in the kingdom of Israel. King after king after king after king. John Maxwell, I think he's onto something, that everything rises and falls on leadership. And he's right because it doesn't matter if you are leading a classroom full of third graders or a football team full of professionals, a home full of teenagers, or a church full of sinners, right? Good and proper leadership is essential. And so since that's true, it begs us to ask the question, well, what makes a great leader? Because if leadership rises and falls, or everything rises and falls on leadership, then, then I want to be a great leader. I want us to be in leadership positions where we are doing exactly as God would intend us to do. And now, before you decide to eliminate yourself from this sermon, because you're like, oh, he's talking about leadership, that's not me, I beg to differ. It should be noted that most people hold some sort of leadership position in their life at all times. Some are more upfront and obvious right? Like a pastor or a president or something like that. But uh, most of them are more behind the scenes and subtle. And so if you're a parent, you're a leader. If you manage more than just yourself at your job, you're a leader. If you're part of a club or a sport in school, you are likely a leader of some sort. If you're a teacher, you're a leader. If you're a coach, you're a leader. If you're a volunteer at our church, you just might be a leader. Leadership is everywhere, and most people participate in it in some way. So parents, grandparents, teachers, bosses, coaches, volunteers, church leaders, and everyone in between, I want to repeat those words that John Maxwell said, everything rises and falls on leadership. Now, that's a bit of a tall order, right? No pressure, you're a leader, everything rises and falls on your ability to lead. The success of, but it's true, the success of any kind of team, uh, sports or otherwise, it ultimately rises and falls on the leadership of that team. It's why at the end of, a, uh, the end of professional sports uh, seasons, there are a number of coaches that are fired and there are a number of coaches that are given extensions to their contracts or hired to new positions. The poor leaders are left to look for new jobs, and the good ones are left to coach another season. So again, back to my question, what makes a good leader? Because if our families and our teams and our churches and our workplaces depend so heavily on quality leadership, then we'd best get it right, right? Now, I suppose we could look to some of the obvious leaders of our world and of our time. We could examine presidents and senators and CEOs and Hall of Fame coaches and military leaders and all the like, and maybe they would give us a template for quality leadership. And I think where there's much that we can glean and learn from them, but instilling the leadership tactics of a president or army general into your daily parenting probably isn't going to work real well, right? Like get down and give me 20 is not great for a toddler, right? But not to mention, just because 
a president or a CEO or military leader was in leadership doesn't necessarily mean they are good at it. Now, here's the good news. The Bible does not shy away from talking about leadership and what it makes, what it takes to be a good leader. It's scattered throughout the scriptures, including, wouldn't you know it, in Acts chapter 20. So if you haven't done so yet, grab your phone. You can open up the YouVersion Bible app, uh, and you can go to more and events and follow along with everything I'm going to cover here today. Or, as I said, we're going to be in Acts chapter 20 if you want to go to your Bibles as well. Now, last week we looked as Paul has been traveling around the Aegean Sea, Greece, Macedonia, Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, and he's doing it to eventually make his way down to a small little port town called Miletus. And when he gets to Miletus, he invites the leaders of the churches from around the known area, especially in the city of Ephesus, which was a major hub for the church at the time, to come to Miletus and meet with him. And the main reason he invites them to come and meet with him is he's got a few things to say because Paul knows this is the last time I am going to see you. In fact, in this passage, he will tell them, this is the last time I'm going to see you. Now, last week, we looked at Paul's first portion of his message to these leaders. as He gathers them together in Miletus, and he starts to speak, and he begins by reminding them that the end goal of the Christian faith, regardless of who you are, is not effectiveness or success, but faithfulness. He then finishes his final words to these church leaders with a word about leadership, and not just any kind of leadership, what is often referred to as servant leadership. Acts chapter 20, we're going to start in 28. You guys ready? All right, okay. So guard yourselves and God's people. Feed and shepherd God's flock, his church purchased with his own blood, over which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as leaders. I know that false teachers, like vicious wolves, will come in among you after I leave, not sparing the flock. Even some men from your own group will rise up and distort the truth in order to draw a following. Watch out. Remember the three years I was with you, my constant watch and care over you night and day, and my many tears for you. So Paul begins this section with a challenge to the leaders who are present. He begins by saying, hey, look, if we're going to be the people that God's called us to be, we got to be faithful in everything we do. And then he moves into this whole leadership paradigm where he begins to challenge them in their leadership. And Paul first reminds them that the servant leader, the kind of leader that Jesus first exampled, and the kind of leader that now Paul has exampled to them, guards themselves. They guard themselves. They take care of themselves. They guard their mind and their heart and their body and their soul. They are consciously aware that their ability to lead, whether they're a parent or a CEO, begins with them. The servant leader understands that they can't lead people if they aren't spiritually, mentally, emotionally, and physically able to do it. Now, I don't care if you're leading a classroom of third graders or a multi-billion dollar business. If you aren't caring for your heart, soul, mind, and body, your ability to lead will have diminishing returns. If you are not here on a Sunday morning, worshiping our Creator, gathering with the people of God, hearing from God's Word, your ability to lead will slowly deteriorate. If you are not spending time with God in the Scriptures daily, 
praying, coming together in small group environments like we talked about earlier. Your ability to lead as a servant leader will begin to deteriorate. Your ability to parent, to lead your classroom, to lead your your team at work, to lead your sport at school will have diminishing returns over time. Now, I don't care if you're, what level of leadership you're doing. This is true for anyone in any leadership position, and here's why. Because leadership of any sort will come up against opposition. It'll happen. The parent who chooses to lead their family and children in a godly manner will face opposition, probably from their children. No kidding. They will try to change your mind. And if you are not caring for yourself spiritually and mentally and physically, you will not be able to lead your children in a godly manner. You will sacrifice their ability to follow Jesus long-term and live in a godly environment for your own uh, abdication of leadership in your life. The business leader who desires to lead biblically will be questioned for their methods and their decisions. The pastor or church leader who seeks to be a servant of their church will face criticism and questioning and opposition from outside the church and, dare I say it, from inside the church. And in addition, if you haven't done the hard work of guarding your mind and body and soul and heart, your ability to then guard and feed and shepherd, which is Paul's next instruction to them, your ability to guard, I know, guard and feed and shepherd those in your care, it greatly decreases. It greatly decreases. Because ultimately, the call of leadership is to guard and feed and shepherd the people you're in care of. The leader exists to do that. And here's the truth. The wolves, as Paul calls calls them, they're coming. They will show up at your doorstep. And when they do, you best be prepared. You best be of sound mind and heart. Now, I've been in a leadership role for more than 20 years in the church. And I, I have a lot to learn about servant leadership. But I've learned a lot over those years as well. And nothing more... Was, has been more informative to my shaping as a servant leader than something a former pastor and mentor of mine once told me. In my early years of leading as a pastor, I was really young. I was in my early, early 20s. I was struggling mightily. My wife can attest to this. Like, I couldn't sleep. I was stressed out. I was constantly worried. And it seemed like no matter what I did, I, I faced constant opposition. Now, some of that, I'll be honest, was a little self-imposed, okay? But I was young and I was naive and I made decisions that they just weren't very good sometimes and I just kept, everything just felt like it was a struggle all of the time. But then I realized a lot of the struggle I faced was just part of what it means to be a leader. It just comes with the territory. If you lead for any length of time, it's going to be difficult. And so knowing my struggle, my pastor and mentor of of, you know, 30-some years. He'd been in the church for decades. He took me aside one day, and he said something that I have never forgotten. He said, if you're going to lead in the church, you're going to need a soft heart and thick skin. And those words have served me for decades. And I think this is what Paul is getting at. 
with these leaders. He's saying, listen, the servant leader has a soft heart and thick skin. The servant leader is somebody who loves and shows compassion and has grace and mercy for the people that they are entrusted with, but they also have thick skin. When opposition and criticism comes their way, they know because they've cared for themselves, they've allowed the Holy Spirit to do the hard work of forming who they are. They have the thick skin to go, no way. This is the direction we are going, and no opposition or criticism is going to keep us or keep us from getting off course from that. The servant leader has a soft heart and thick skin. It's funny, I think if our church staff were up here right now, they would tell you that I often quote these same words to them. Because leadership, servant leadership requires both a deep love for the people you're leading and the willingness to do the hard work of making hard decisions. It means having hard conversations and protecting whoever you've been entrusted with from possible harm. And that can only happen if the leader has continuously guarded themselves by drawing closer to Jesus. And so in some of Paul's final words to these leaders, he tells them, no matter what, no matter what may come or what you may do, have a soft heart and thick skin. Take care of yourselves and protect your people from false teachers in particular, but in general, those who will oppose you and come against you. Make the hard decisions. Have the hard conversations. God will honor that. He then goes on in verse 32, and he says, and now I entrust you to God and the message of his grace that is able to build you up and give you an inheritance with all those he has set apart for himself. Now, one of the great abilities of Paul in his ministry was his knack for seeing and developing potential in people. He, like Jesus, saw leadership in just about everyone he ran into. It seems like the people that he's in constant connection with, he's just sending them out. Go do this. Go do that. You lead this. You lead that. Jesus was very similar, right? The, the disciples have no idea what they're doing. And Jesus is like, get out there. Go do something. He sees potential and he wants to develop it. And here's why. Jesus takes a bunch of nobodies and he develops them into world changers. And Paul does the same because the servant leader sees and develops potential. They are less concerned about propping themselves up and be seen as the mighty one the one with all the ideas and the, all the amazing accomplishments, and instead, they are all about taking the potential of other people and developing it, pouring into them, elevating them so that the kingdom of God can continue to expand in the world. The reality is, I am one pastor in one church. I cannot do it all. And Paul sees that as well. He realizes, look, I'm only going to live maybe another few years. I can't do this unless I see and develop the potential that Jesus Christ has put in people to live out the calling and purpose of their lives. Paul is entrusting the forward movement of the kingdom of God to these leaders. He is confident that they have what it takes to go wherever they need to go and where he never could. Jesus did the same with his disciples and early followers and servant leaders. No matter what your leadership role, you are on the lookout for potential 
in the people you're serving, in the people you're leading, and then developing them to send them off in their own leadership quest as well. Parents, you know, one of your primary responsibilities is seeing and developing the God-given potential in your children. And so if you are in the throes of raising children or you're in the throes of launching them like I am, you have the distinct calling of seeing how God has shaped and created your children and doing everything that you can to develop and encourage and challenge that potential in them. And one of the reasons we're so concerned with and focused on the next generation here is that we want our kids who grow up in this church and are launched from this church to know that they do have Christ-like potential to bring the kingdom into their schools and beyond. I do not want this church to end with me or those of you who are a part of my generation or older generations. I want the next generation to be enveloped and developed into potential leaders so that when we leave and when I die and when I'm buried, this kingdom thing continues to manifest itself in the world. The servant leader is constantly on the lookout for potential and people. And when they see it, they seek to develop it. Paul then finishes the section of Acts 20 with this. He says, I have never coveted anyone's silver or gold or fine clothes. You know that these hands of mine have worked to supply my own needs and even the needs of those who are with me. And I have been a constant example of how you can help those in need by working hard. You should remember the words of the Lord Jesus. It is more blessed to give than to receive. By the way, how many of you have heard that statement before? more blessed to give than receive. How many of you knew that it was part of a speech given to a bunch of leaders? Probably not. Somebody probably pulled that sucker from there and was like, you need to know this. No, no, I'm, look, it's a good passage. But Paul is getting at something very deep here with these leaders. And Paul was as generous as they come. He gave up everything for the sake of seeing the gospel spread. He risked life and limb, literally. He used every dime he ever made to serve the church and its pur purposes. And his final instructions to these leaders are the words that he received from Jesus. It's more blessed to give than receive. And in that moment, he's saying that the servant leader is increasingly more generous. With their money, with their time, with their energy, with their possessions, with their wisdom. The servant leader is constantly on the lookout for how they can generously give to and serve those in their care. Now, I remember when Chris and I were newly married, and um, we were serving at the church that, of the pastor that I mentioned before. And, uh, we were, man, I was new to ministry. We got married, and 10 seconds later, we were pregnant with our oldest child, and so we, a few months in, you know, she's pregnant. We have this puppy, which, you know, we didn't know. We didn't know, like, we we're going to, you know, all this was going to happen. We had no money, right? And so um, the pastor, he came into my office one day, and he handed me an envelope, and he said, I want you to take this money. I want you to go, and I want you to have a great weekend. He just gave me, like, a bunch of money. And, uh, and so I, I made some plans, and, and we ended up going away for her birthday, right? Wasn't it your birthday? And it was the worst trip of our entire marriage. <laughs> That's a story for another time. 
Okay, so let's not fixate on that right now. Uh, but it was, ter- it was terrible. We didn't even stay over. No- I don't even want to get into it. <laughs> I learned a lot that day. Um, but the generosity of that pastor, one, to see that there was an, eno- an, an enormous need in our marriage. We were so newly married. We were expecting this baby. We had no money. We were just, we didn't know what to do. For him to just say, hey, here's a couple hundred bucks. Why don't you go away? I got it. That, that is the generosity of a servant leader, of somebody who goes, you know what? I want to serve you with my generosity. I care for you. And, I, and I'm not just looking for you to serve me. I, I want to serve you in this particular way. The servant leader is increasingly more generous with what he or she has. They are willing to give or get their hands dirty to serve the needs of those in their care. Now, finally, I want you to notice, here's what I want you to notice at the end of this passage. As Paul leaves the company of these early church leaders, I want you to notice what happens. Verse 36. When he had finished speaking, he knelt and prayed with them. They all cried as they embraced and kissed him goodbye. They were sad most of all because he had said they would never see him again. Then they escorted him down to the ship. This is the impact that servant leadership can have on a people. You know, notice Paul, Luke doesn't report that, you know, Paul told them he was leaving. They were like, finally, get out of here, man. No, it, it says they cried and they embraced and they kissed him goodbye, which might be a curious way for us to say goodbye to somebody other than somebody we're really close with. But that was, in the first century, an intimate sign of friendship and confidence in a person. These are the actions of people who deeply loved and cared for Paul, who without question understood that he was living out servant leadership in his life and that they were the beneficiaries of that. And knowing they would never see him again, all they had to give was an emotion of deep grief that they would never see their beloved leader again. The gratitude for a servant leadership is overwhelming in their lives. A kiss to him reserved only for the person that you considered of great value to you. Paul's impact on these leaders was palpable in that moment. And it was lasting because they would be the ones to go on to lead the church to great heights in the first century, even in the face of incredible suffering and persecution. And it all began... Because Paul followed the leadership blueprint of Jesus. He chose chose servant leadership in all of his life. Because, and I want you to hear this. This is maybe a statement for you to remember. Servant leadership always values purpose and people over profit. In the end, servant leadership, it's not about profit. By profit, I don't just mean money, although it could mean that. It could also mean a person's level of influence and power. It could mean a person's ability to climb the ladder. And to be fair, most leaders in our world are just out for themselves. They want what's only best for them, what will only really profit them. But the servant leader, the biblical Jesus-like Paul-following leader is first and foremost concerned about the purpose of their leadership and the people in their care. Maybe they profit. Maybe they don't. 
Maybe they gain influence. Maybe they don't. But that's never the point. It's never the goal. For Paul, this concern was focused solely on the purpose of spreading the gospel message and the people with whom he was entrusted. That's all he cared about. He even says, I don't need your money. I didn't need to be lifted up on high and you know, come in on a, on a throne of some kind. I don't need any of that stuff. All I cared about was the spreading of the gospel message and the kingdom moving forward and you, the people that have been entrusted in my care. So listen, whether you're leading a book club or a family or a small business or a middle management team, a sports team, a friend group, a ministry team, a middle school group for teenage boys, do it all as a servant leader. All of it. Do it all as a servant leader. Have a soft heart and thick skin. See and develop potential in the people that you have been entrusted in care with. Become increasingly more generous. And through it all, may you value purpose and people over profit every single time. And here's the thing. If you get lost along the way, Go back to the life of Jesus. Because nobody, nobody did this better than him. Nobody exampled what it meant to be a servant leader like Jesus. He slipped away to be with God regularly, guarding himself against the pressures and the demands of his leadership. If Jesus had to do it, how much more must we have to do it? He saw incredible potential in 12 disciples who were crazy, nuts, nobodies. And he gathered them and he developed them into absolute world changers. We sit here today because of his ability to see potential, not in a thousand people, but in 12. And he gave everything. Generously, he gave everything to serve and save the world through his own life, for you and for me. So if you get lost along the way of what servant leadership is really about, go back to the life of Jesus because nobody did it better than him. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your leadership in our life. You know, we come here in, in Sunday mornings and we come to worship you and learn from you and hear from you. And, and yet the, the scriptures tell us that, that you came for us, that you came to serve and save the lost, to be a ransom for many, that your leadership style didn't look like the world. You came to wash our feet, to bend down and serve us. And, and if there was anybody less deserving than us, God, you, you came for us. And so I pray, God, that we would take a page of your book as we look to the leadership that we are a part of in our lives today, that we would seek to be servant leaders in our own right. Give us the courage to lead in the ways in which you have called us, to have a soft heart and thick skin, to see the potential in people, to be generous with everything that we have, God. I'm just in awe of the work of Paul. And I know this story is ultimately not about Paul. It's about you. But your work in and through him, God, is so moving and inspiring. And I, I pray, God, that as we continue through this book, 
that we would continue to see that it was only through the servant leadership of Paul and through those who followed him that the church continued to move forward. And so I pray that we would lead with confidence in you, that we would lead knowing, God, that you are with us in our leadership, that we would make the decisions, whether they be hard or not. God, that we would serve the people that we have been entrusted with, with great love and care. But God, that we would also remember that ultimately it is you working in us by your Holy Spirit that enables us to do that, that it would draw us to greater worship of you, to greater awe of you. Thank you for Jesus who would go to the cross and give everything that we might even have an opportunity to live among your people, to be called into leadership of any kind and to do it in the same manner he would do. In his, in his name we pray. Amen.